Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for January 26, 2020. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Yes, indeed. <clears throat> well, life is precious. Every day is a new day. Uh, <clears throat> yesterday, I uh, conducted a funeral. Uh, a friend's mother passed away and uh, in my remarks I reminded myself that uh, something that we all forget and that's that our uh, individual mortality is, is, is a reality in other words we're all going to die And I remember one of my uh, colleagues, Buddhist minister, on that topic. He would he would be conducting. You see, being a minister, you're never allowed to forget this teaching because you have to conduct a lot of funerals. So this minister was telling me, he says, "Yeah, he's standing over the casket, starting the service, and." And he's telling himself, I forgot. You know what I mean? <laughs> he slams his his palm on his forehead. Ah, you dummy. I forgot about the reality of death and how precious life is. And I should be sincere in what I'm doing. You know? um, and it's always like that. Um I don't know how old, when we think about intellectual development and young children, when they first learn about uh, what concepts mean, and when they first start to really realize that uh, about human mortality, you know, this what say this is this how do you accept the unacceptable? And then, so in a sense, they're 
experiencing what Siddhartha Gautama did before that pushed them to leave the castle and you know all the secular advantages he had become a truth seeker. How can human beings live a happy, contented life knowing that right around the corner, okay, we don't know exactly when, but, uh-huh. and so <clears throat> a funeral offers that opportunity. Now, I thought it was very interesting where um, <clears throat> if you if we ask a Christian, what is the purpose of Christian religious services? The bottom line is, it's to praise God. So I ask you, uh, as a Buddhist, you know, as a visitor, you know, what's the purpose of the Buddhist services? And I remember learning, I don't remember the source, but the answer was in the from the Buddhist perspective, the purpose is is that it's an opportunity to listen to the teachings, to receive the teachings. What kind of teachings? About the reality of life, the truth. Okay? Truth being synonymous with the way things are, okay? not how we want them to be. Uh, and so I thought that's, that that clarifies okay, what we're doing because when a family has to deal with the death of a loved one, well, <clears throat> you have to do a service for the loved one. Okay, listen to that preposition for, and in a sense, of course, the family is doing it for the deceased. But at the same time, we could say, even though the wording is a little awkward, that the deceased is giving the service for the family. Uh, And in that service, we could consider that the deceased is offering us, you know, through her death, through the reality of her death, a gift of a teaching. Now, when you receive a gift of a teaching, just like any gift, if it's all wrapped up and you don't unwrap it, but you just get to receive the gift and put it in the closet, oh, it looks like, you know, it's very pretty. But you don't unwrap it and receive the gift, and which in this context means to realize that there is a teaching being offered here. And that it behooves me to realize that death is a profoundly spiritual event and I should be impacted by the message, this gift of a teaching reminding me of my own human mortality, not as a downer, but as uh, a a motivator. How am I living? What am I doing? Am I fulfilling myself? What are my values? What are my priorities? Am I just going along like, you know, every day is the same old day? That's a... (laughs) uh, Am I appreciating 
my friends, my family. And uh, so then at the funeral, some members of the family and in the audience, they're asked to share memories. Okay. And there's some very poignant stories of, of life, of how they shared life with the deceased. It's heartwarming. And it made me think that another Buddhist colleague of mine, so even sort of my mentor, used to say, you know, use the phrase sharing life together. He used that a lot as, as the main message. How nice it is to be able to share life together, to get together. And this doesn't seem like a very profound message because, uh, you know, we get together with friends and family and have go to dinner and share events and yeah, we're always sharing life with, with that. That's, that's what life's about. Huh? But the more we think about it, that sharing of that life together is precious, is sacred. This is a, you know, uh, to realize this interdependency can humble us can fill us with gratitude. Uh, so, as some of the family members of the deceased said, you know, a lot of people came to the funeral that they hadn't seen in a long time. That's what a funeral would do, okay? Funerals and weddings. Now, we hope there are more weddings and funerals, but people come. And they celebrate a life, and um, this is, a, you know, as I said, profoundly spiritual event. So we should allow it to impact us, to transform us. We should be open to that. We should be aware of that. Okay? Instead of perhaps, well, you know, this is, yeah, this is what happens, and let, let's uh, get it behind us and, you know, continue all the important things I got to do in my life, which are important, but don't forget what's truly important. It's because you have to deal with the uh, necessary things. Uh Uh, And so this is a, transform us. Wow. Allow that impact. That's the the purpose. That's the gift of the teaching that this person is through her death offering us. Wow, you know. It's a shame if you just don't open it up and put it in a closet. Because when you do, in fact, open it up and use it, and deepen your own spirituality and move toward being a true human being, at the same time, you're paying the highest tribute to your loved one. So that was my message. Anyway, uh, I want to move on to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, uh, Ken Kenyo, 
uh, I gave him the Dharma name. You know, Ken is a, uh, also a Japanese or Chinese written character with meaning. Uh, and since his name was Ken, I use the same Ken, but it refers to a certain character that has the meaning Ken, Kenyo. And of course, the yo is the, the Taiyo or the uh, the sun, physical sun or sunrise or the dawn, you know. And uh, at the time, he was living in Colorado. And uh, for the last few years, he's been living in South America. And let's hear from Ken Kenyo. Greetings, Dharma brothers and sisters. I was taught in the religion of my youth that enlightenment or salvation, as they described it, depended upon some supernatural being, and that this required pleasing him through praise, money, self-sacrifice, and other organizational requirements as they occurred. If things didn't turn out as promised, it was because I did something wrong, not because this supernatural being didn't exist or the organization was mistaken. The frustration only grew worse as I got older and was exposed to more complicated life situations in which the religious doctrine proved to be of minimal or no help. Later on in life, I was introduced to Buddhism and the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. The essence of this message was extremely liberating for me. True, much of life is suffering, but Buddha's discovery also encouraged me to investigate the cause of my suffering and to assume the responsibility for resolving the causes of this suffering. I was no longer subject to the whims of some supernatural power or religious organization. I alone was responsible for my life and the consequences of my decisions. Sounds like karma, doesn't it? I eventually summarized my experience with Buddhism as radical responsibility. The Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path puts responsibility for enlightenment directly upon me. No one else can do the work required for me. Enlightenment by proxy does not exist in Buddhism. It is completely up to me to assume the responsibility for my life and the consequences of my actions. So what does the word responsible mean? In earlier years, the word responsible meant to me to accept all blame while having to ensure that something succeeded no matter what happened or who disrupted the process. Have you ever been in a work situation where you were responsible or held to blame for something in which you had no control? Such is the way of less enlightened business leadership, or more correctly, lack of leadership. More enlightened managers understood the connection between being responsible for a process and the need to also be able to control that process. The good news is that in our lives, we have control over our life's experiences and the consequences that follow our decisions. But what does being responsible mean? I came to understand the term responsible as being response-able. In other words, I am able to respond to a situation by being responsible. Several years ago, my son had developed skills in graphics and audio. I needed his help. However, he was occupied with other interests, and I decided that it was best not to require him to help me. This was a difficult decision for me because I had very little time to learn, as my full-time job demanded many hours of work. 
Consequently, the opportunity to do what I wanted to do passed me by. Years later, the same need for graphics and audio skills arose. My family situation had changed. This time, I dedicated myself to acquiring the graphics and audio skills I needed. The result was greater knowledge, skills, and capability in these areas, allowing me to independently accomplish my goals. I was now able to respond to my own needs in graphics and audio. This audio recording is a result of my self-assumed responsibility to learn this skill. Now I have the freedom to make audio recordings anytime I desire without having to rely on someone else. In a similar manner, I have put forth the effort and dedication required to learn a foreign language. No one else can do it for me. I have to set aside the time, practice, fail, correct, and practice again, and continue this dedication on a daily basis. Yes, it is effort, and no one else can do it for me. But the rewards are breaking the language barrier and being able to fully communicate in a foreign language without anyone else's help. Several years back there was an unfortunate accident. A company offered boat tours on a large lake. They did not provide life vest for its passengers. While on tour this boat suffered damage which led it to sinking. Many of the people on board did not know how to handle the situation nor could they swim. No life rafts were present. This led to many deaths. Of course, the company is largely to blame for this tragedy, but some degree of responsibility concerns its passengers. Why did they undertake such an activity without proper training or safety precautions? Why did they board the boat without a life jacket? Ultimately, who is responsible for their lives? Is it the company or the passengers, or a combination of both? Being responsible or response-able can be a severe teacher. In some cases the consequences are significant. No excuse can stop the inevitable consequences. The results of not being responsible are swiftly delivered without concern for what led to the situation. They are simply the results of the action taken and the laws governing that situation. No favoritism, compassion, or leniency is offered. I love to swim and sometimes I take tours on boats to visit islands. I am constantly vigilant for dangerous situations and attempt to be prepared in the event they happen. I practice various swimming techniques that can help me in emergency situations. I attempt to be able to respond. In other words, make myself responsible to safely enjoy the situation. That is why it is so important to become able to respond or responsible for our own situation in life. Learn, apply, and practice while you have the opportunity. Determine the outcomes that are important to you and work to fulfill them. In this respect, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path are so important. I suffer and I will pass through many situations causing suffering. If I am lucky, those situations will not kill me, but provide an opportunity for me to take one more step towards enlightenment. I share an interpretation of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. The truth of suffering. No one can deny that suffering is a condition of all existence. The truth of the cause of suffering. 
suffering and general dissatisfaction come to human beings because they are possessive, greedy, and above all self-centered. The truth of the cessation of suffering. Egocentrism, possessiveness, and greed can, however, be understood, overcome, and rooted out. The truth of the path to the cessation of suffering. A process. This rooting out, this vanquishing, can be brought about by following a simple, reasonable, eightfold path of behavior in thought, word, and deed. Number one, right views, complete or perfect vision. First, you must clearly see what is wrong. Number two, right thought, perfected emotion or aspiration. Next, you must decide that you want to be cured. Three, right conduct, integral action. You must act and, number four, right speech, perfected or whole speech, speak so as to aim at being cured. Five, right livelihood, proper livelihood. Your livelihood must not conflict with your therapy. Six, that therapy must go forth at the staying speed, that is the critical velocity that can be sustained. This is right effort, complete, or full effort. Seven, Right mindfulness, complete or thorough awareness. You must think about it incessantly and eight, right meditation, full, integral or holistic samadhi. Learn how to contemplate it with a deep mind. Throughout my life, I have learned that if I don't like my situation, it is up to me to change it. I have went through this cycle many times. Define what I want to change, learn how to change it, establish a plan of action, dedicate resources and time to accomplish the plan, commit to its fulfillment, regularly evaluate the plan to make adjustments along the way, focus on the purpose of the plan and be willing to change in light of new circumstances and knowledge, and finally accomplish the plan. Sounds like the Eightfold Path, doesn't it? Buddhism beckons me to examine my life against my goal for enlightenment, or in other words, the cessation of pain and the successful realization of a meaningful life. Generally, when things go wrong, I should look inside to determine what is wrong and what caused it to be wrong. I must insist on becoming response-able or responsible for the current situation of my life. The universe offers an opportunity for personal growth and I should graciously accept it knowing that I shall evolve one step closer towards personal enlightenment and personal fulfillment. I continue to find significant relevance in Lord Buddha's Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. For me, this summarizes the essential value of Buddhism. It was the first significant insight that Lord Buddha taught the world after his enlightenment. His teachings inspire a radical responsibility, or the capability of being response-able. I keep returning to this base point, especially during challenging times, and it always has helped me work my way through to a more enlightened understanding of the situation. Thank you. Uh, Adrian has told me that um, Ken Kenyo really uh, organized and developed uh, his talk and um, it, it was longer than usual 
And so she split it into two parts. And this is the first part. And I guess she had chosen a certain uh, good stopping point. And so next Sunday we'll uh, play Ken Kenyo's uh, part two of his Dharma glimpse. Now think, as I listen to the talk, uh, there's a couple of points that I think is helpful. And one one is, I remember there was a Buddhist teacher giving a talk, and he was talking about the first uh, noble truth about um, that dukkha or the reality of dukkha. That is that life is not always pleasant. Things happen um, out of your control, and you you know uh, physical pain. Hmm? Natural disasters. But then he said, but you know, suffering is optional. That statement created quite an issue or controversy in the audience. They'll say, hey, what do do you mean, you know? Well, (laughs) uh, suffering, I would, this is the way I would look at it. Suffering is, means the psychological suffering, whereas pain means the physical pain. Okay? So sometimes you, you, you can't help the physical pain, but you can interpret the situation, your response to it, uh, as to how much it's going to cause psychological pain, you know? how you get captured by it or you can't let it go or you elaborate on it in certain kind of ways. So this brings up the second topic that I thought about is that uh, uh, if we ask the question, can you change the past? Now, one common sense answer is, of course not. It already happened. You, you You know, you can't change it. But what does change mean? Well, if it means that you can change how you interpret what happened. Uh, that Then in that sense, you can change the past in terms of its effect on you. Okay? Not the actual event itself, but its effect on you. So, well, what kind of label? What kind of words? What kind of... Description, what kind of interpretation of what happened? That's crucial. Hmm? Uh, sometimes physical pain, is it always, always bad? <laughs> I remember one friend wrote an essay on childbirth, you know, and <laughs> and he was making a, a, a nice article on childbirth is such full of physical pain. With the mother giving birth and the labor, and he says, uh, "But you know, it's so it's so excruciating, and yet later on, you know, a few years later, they'll do it again." <laughs> you know, and he kind of emphasized their mugging, the uh, exaggerating the, you know, the paradoxical nature that. And then they go through it again. Choose to go through it again. Okay. Um, so 
this is um, a real crucial aspect of the Buddhist teachings of Dharma, of uh, you know what life is about, the reality, uh, about the nature of suffering, okay? and uh, the nature of the mind, and so forth. It's really a deep, broad topic that behooves us to to uh, continuously. We get challenged. We don't know what's right around the corner and what life has in store for us. Huh? We strive to um, uh, control as much as we can, but then there is a breakthrough when you, when there is a realization that uh, whatever happens, yeah, that you have a you have a crucial input as to its effect on you in terms of suffering. Regardless of what happens, okay, this is a tricky, <laughs> very subtle, very uh, crucial uh, self-introspection and reflection about life's realities, about the first noble truth. Okay, that's all for today's broadcast. And until next time, keep going. And you have a... Beautiful day.